What's going on, everybody? This is Gavin Dean Smith, and you're listening to Behind the Stage. First and foremost, I wanted to thank everybody that personally reached out to let me know that they listened to episode one. We've got some positive feedback. A lot of people said that they really liked the concept, so I'm excited to release uh, another episode. I'm also excited to announce that we're now available on Spotify and Apple. You can also check us out on Instagram at Behind the Stage Podcast. Episode two contains a conversation with my good friend Cliff Albert. Cliff and I met his kids while we were playing shows in the Northeast Pennsylvania punk scene. In this interview, we cover everything from Cliff learning how to play drums, starting his first band, some of his recording experiences. We also explore the routes that Cliff took to not only pay his bills, but also to continue his career as a touring drummer. Do yourself a favor before we jump into this interview. Grab a notebook, open up your phone, and maybe take some notes. Cliff gave me an education on bands and even genres that I had never even heard of. So let's do this. Episode 2. going on man how are you oh i'm doing great what's how new i'm good man how's your day going yeah well um i had a wild day today but i'm not gonna get into it on recording but, wild uh, wild good wild bad wild bad okay yeah, it was, it was I'm, i don't usually have a bad day but today was not a good day we'll, we'll talk offline hopefully we can figure it out but i'm, I'm feeling good now so <laughs> it's all good <laughs> but all yeah uh, I'm, yeah i'm just trying to be real here so I get it. But, uh, some of those days myself. <laughs> yeah. So am I, uh, so is this like, so this is a new venture for you. I'm sorry to give you. No, a it here, is. But... No, it's fine. It is. So here, here's what's going on. So I did two interviews with Chris Swinney, who has that, uh, that podcast that one time on tour. Yes. And then I started doing research on more podcasts and music podcasts and stuff like that. And I'm going in and a lot of them, they're interviewing the artists, they're interviewing the songwriter and there's not a whole lot of content about the back end of music or what happens when your band kind of breaks up, right? Yeah. And I know that, you know, I know that all too well. And for me, the story was my band broke up, but I still wanted to tour. So I started tour managing. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, going through my phone after I thought about this concept, I'm like, well, that guy's a booking agent you know, that girl works in TV and film. And, you know, this person was a hired gun and it all stemmed from the music industry, but sometimes you end up in roles that you might not particularly want. Gotcha. And the reason why I thought of you is because your story is pretty unique because you've probably stayed the course longer than most people that I know. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I'm like, I'll be honest, forget this. I'm going to get a job and I'll go from here. But you've found the alternatives to kind of keep you playing and also create I could right and then kind of created an avenue for generating your own revenue and kind of paying your own bills but still putting yourself out there to make yeah. music and tour so that's why I was I, I want to kind of gather the perspective uh because you know and I was on the phone with my buddy AJ Larson and I think you can cross paths with him he plays him don't panic yes. and he's a producer of and, course, yep. and you know he kind of put it bluntly he's like you know for the kid who at a young age picks up a guitar and starts a band the likelihood of them making it as a musician is very slim as sad as that is mm-hmm. and we're not here to shatter dreams but we're also here to talk about hey you know there are alternatives in the music industry or routes that you can take to keep yourself relevant and involved in something you really love 
and it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And as a, as a little uh, precursor um, to like what I'm going to get into and whatever, I, I mean, I didn't write anything down, of course, but That's okay. um, I'm going to speak from the heart here, but I am getting back into it a little bit. Um, I got some offers. We'll talk about that. But uh, I did have a bad attitude about it for a while, you know, um, especially during the pandemic, having some introspection, whatever. And I do have some feelings about it, but my feelings are forming into a more solidified, not so jaded situation. And basically that was because a personal thing that happened on a tour and I kind of let that take over. So telling the kids out there about, you know, not shattering dreams or anything, there's, there's so many ways to stay in the music industry, like you said, but even if it's not sustainable in a situation of like, if you want to stay in punk bands and play in, in, in basements, like those kind of punk bands or do your own music and, you don't have to be famous to be a part of the industry. Exactly. You know, and um, what I found was I was, I was able to, I was fortunate enough to have a trade and, you know, while I was doing all this, going from job to job to job to finally going, well, maybe I can start my own thing so I can continue playing music though. The music is not like, you know, playing drums in other bands didn't, actually support me as like in a living situation but I was still able to play and play shows and be happy doing that you know right. so um my experience with being a hired gun there was the good outweighs the bad right. but I definitely I think dealt with the worst so and, let's rewind and, before we get into that story yeah so let's yeah, kinda- yeah. Let's kind of take this from the beginning as to when you started playing drums, because I know you on a personal level and I know a little bit of, of your story, but yeah. when, when did you start playing drums? So I started playing drums when I, I was originally from Allentown. My parents moved up to the Poconos around when I was 12 and dude, it was such a culture shock in the opposite fashion where right. I've never seen a redneck before. And it was just all rednecks and jocks. And I was like, whoa, this like, what? <laughs> so I was like, this is wild. And I'm like kind of a weird, I didn't know who I was. And I was still in the BMX and I was starting to get into like AFI. And then finally my dad set up his drum set and I just started playing around 12 years old. So what were, so your dad played drums. And I remember you mentioned your dad also played in a bunch of bands. Yes. Yes. He was uh, more of like the bigger fish in a small pond kind of deal. Um, he played in bigger bands in the Lehigh Valley when the Lehigh Valley actually had a scene like in the eighties and nineties. Um, but then, uh, and he got a bunch of offers and had all this stuff, but he turned it down multiple times. And then, uh, then he just went into cover bands. One of his bands actually like, they the bass player got murdered down in south america i think i told you about that I did i ever did. tell you about I believe, yeah, yeah you started so, to yeah so once that happened that's kind of where his career was just like well i'm getting kind of old for this like i can't you know like how a lot of people get you know like 
what am I going to do, you know, at this point? What kind of kit did he have that you were learning on around the house? So I got to learn on a $10,000. He took out a loan in the 80s to buy this thing. It was a Tama Grandstar. It had two, two rack toms, a floor tom, and a bass drum. And of course, a snare. So it was a five-piece kit with like three cymbals and then a China boy. And like, it was on a big rack system. But he also had like three more toms and another bass drum to put with it. But he just, that was his like show kit because, you know, like he wasn't playing in hair metal bands anymore, but they were still like, can we curse on this show? Ah, Go for it. I was just going to say, I have to accentuate huge fucking cannons like they were just so big and they're awesome like they so now i have that same kit i bought it from some other guy because my dad he doesn't want me to even have it when he's dead like he wants to be buried with those things you know so but i was lucky enough to start on something like that and then eventually i was like i want a four piece and my dad's like why like you know and i didn't want to play double bass and you know so around 12 years old, your dad sets up the kit in the house. At what age did you start your first band? Probably, well, I mean, if you want to be technical about it, me and Joe, Joe Scott, uh, we started our first band. It was me, him, and the stereo that we played <laughs> we played to. And we called it Doof because we knew that we were two little chubby kids. And it was food spelled backwards because we just thought that that was the funniest thing. And we played the strokes stacy's mom the ramones just a bunch of random songs and uh yeah that was but the real first band was precedent and how old and i was i was about 13 14 years old which i remember the first time we met or crossed paths so you were in precedent i played in a band called nothing comes free and it was at brennan daly's house in long pond because yep Brandon was throwing house shows because there weren't shows in frequency. Mm-hmm. So it would, it was a bunch of bands from Jersey and from the Poconos in the Lehigh Valley. And I remember that's the first time we met as kids. So this is probably yeah. 15 or 16 years ago now. Yeah. 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 That was, that was great. Um, yeah. I, I remember that was like one of the first shows that I ever played like a house show. And I was just like, wow. Like there was like, I don't know, there had to have been at least a hundred kids there. Like, and in the Poconos, we had to do it all on our own because we didn't have anything else. But uh, the way we got introduced to all of you was from Captain Random. Mm-hmm. And I think, did I tell you this story about, about meeting the Vinny? Mall. <laughs> in the yeah, mall? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, I, when I met Vinny, the little salesman that he is, still my best friend, um, he came up to me. He's like, hey, man, you want to buy a CD? Then and I was like, yeah, like, what kind of music is it? And he's like, oh, it's like punk, ska kind of stuff. I'm like, wow, there's not a lot of punk bands around here. This is cool, man. Let me ask my parents for five bucks. And then uh, I bought the CD with the sticker in it. And, you know, the sticker, like, washed away in the rain because it was so cheap. And, uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, my God. I was like, I have a band, too. Like, maybe we can play together sometime. And he's like, oh, yeah, what's your band? And I was like, press it. And he's like, Oh, dude, I, and I wasn't on the internet then. Like, I was totally against it and, like, being on the internet at all until, like, I was 18, 19 years old, something like that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to see anybody after high school, so fuck it. He was like, yeah, man, I saw you guys on Angel Fire. And I was just like, 
oh sick yeah i know we got one of those i don't really know much about it but angel fire dude that's like stone age shit now you know so i was talking with aj earlier and, and we were talking about he's like oh i uploaded on myspace i'm like i uploaded on pure volume he's like oh yeah yeah I remember. oh yeah <laughs> taking it way back hell yeah dude pure volume myspace yeah myspace was great for for bands absolutely so at awesome. what point at what point did precedent kind of graduate into the greek favorites because i know that that's a that's an important time in in i want to call it your drum career because mm -hmm. you did a lot of touring, you recorded a bunch of records. I mean, I remember for the longest time, every time I turned around, it's you guys were here playing shows or you were in Philly and then the footage would be uploaded and it was like a hundred kids in a basement with no shirts on. And it was like, it yeah. was, there was a lot of cool stuff going on that was, yeah. that was very underground. So at what point did that take place? That took place when I was like around 16, we kind of went into the Greek favorites because they heard me scream leftover crack. And we were against screaming because we were only like, you know, you knew us back then. We were only like listening to Propaganda and No Effects. That was like the only bands we ever listened to. And then maybe some lag wagon in, involved. We started getting into like the heavier shit and, you know, leftover crack. And then I got really into street punk and shit. And uh, then we, they were like, yo, can you like play drums and scream? Like, and I was like, yeah, I could do that. And like at the time I was like trying to write lyrics and just like kind of fuck around with more than just the drums. And at that time we were listening to a lot of like we stopped. We didn't stop, but like we kind of veered away from propaganda and we got more into like Daniel Stripe Tiger and Tiny Hawks and like this like real, real underground shit that was very technical in, in, in their in their writing. And we went to go see Stay Six. Mm -hmm. you remember stay six I we sure went did. to go see yeah and they opened up for maps and atlases at a classroom in esu and maps and atlases i was actually just talking about this today that show changed my life drum wise because in what, in what way? i never saw drums be played like that um the drummer if, if anybody knows that's going to be listening to this maps analysis they know that that band is fucking amazing and um their their one ep i believe it's their second ep but it's called like trees swallows and houses or something like that and it's just like i believe it's like seven or eight songs and it, it's gonna blow your mind and the, the watching that drummer i was like i came in there with like a leather jacket and exploited like pretty much how i dress now but i uh i saw all these kids and they were all like what what we knew is like hipster kids but i never actually saw a hipster kid because i was only 16 i'm like looking around i'm like why are these kids dressed like professors in the 1800s like they're all wearing like these like nice dress shoes and like what the fuck I mean, but i was very interested i'm like wow like this is weird like why are these kids looking like they're gonna be hanging out in a, like a mahogany library then i saw what they were listening to i'm like yo immediately i went up to that drummer after their set and i was just like hey man what kind of music do you listen to that you play like that like i've never seen that before in my life and you know he told me that you know he was into jazz he was in the funk he was also into like you know punky kind of shit he wasn't like into punk rock a lot and uh that night i went home and i was just like i need to i, I bought that cd and i immediately learned how to play it and that was kind of 
that was the kind of turnaround where we were just like, yo, let's, let's get a little more technical, but also simple at the same time and then throw like crack rock vocals over it. And that's kind of, that's it. It worked. It definitely worked. (laughs) And what what I'm going to do is, I mean, when we start making these posts, I'm going to, you know, put the resources up because I want everybody to kind of check out the content that we're talking about in the music. But what was, and the reason why I'm segueing into this is because for me, like you said, I remember a crucial part of, of my career was when I went to that show and I heard that drummer. And for me, from a, on a technical side, I remember a turning point in my career was when we stopped writing with each other and we started writing with a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, there was pre-production involved and there was sending everything off and there was feedback. And I think you and I come from a similar place and, and AJ were t- and I were talking about this as well, where songwriting when I was a kid was very secret. We're going to sit in this room. We're going to write these songs and nobody, I don't care what anyone else has to say. It's us. And it kind of became like this sacred thing. And then when I was introduced to Rob and I joined pull the pin and I was 16 when that happened, they were in college and I was still in high school. Rob had already toured. Rob had already played in a bunch of bands and mm-hmm. would go in and write songs and then say, Hey, I need feedback on this and, and, and kind of have that pre-production. So at what point, Cause I mean, you went on with, you know, with Dave from precedent to then start, you know, this is years later, sing bird of prey. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that you also played with, you know, numerous bands in between there. What was the recording process like throughout those times? Like through the precedent times and Greek favorite times? Yeah. And... What, yeah what was, okay. what were you guys doing? So, so precedent, we just recorded in my parents' basement off like, Dave brought his whole computer set up like he had the big monitor and the big, you know, tower and and we just tried to figure out we were just throwing up blankets and doing whatever we could. Right. And then the Greek favorites, we recorded in Dave's bedroom because we figured we need a smaller space to record so we can condense the sound a little bit, whatever. And then he was just recording bands out of there like he recorded uh some jerk reaction stuff out of there he recorded get stoked i think a, like a couple other bands and then we and then we got down to his garage then you know we re- recorded some stuff in his garage then for the full length and, and we were getting like pretty like into recording you know the recording process like just by ourselves and it was really working out because dave was really good at it and then um, we were like, yo, for the full length that we're writing, let's go into a real studio for the first time. I was 19. And we went up to Amherst, Massachusetts, and we recorded with Will Killingsworth. He was in bands like Ampere and Orchid and um, great bands and such the, the nicest dude. And he had a whole analog setup. That was just like a soundboard and like a little controller and then a tower of power. There was no computer screen whatsoever. Everything was run on tape. And we recorded that full length live with vocals on top. That was really awesome because I learned a lot about the recording process through just doing it on our own. We, my dad always said to keep the recording simple, as simple as possible. Don't try and 
do fun stuff the whole time. So I always took that as like, yeah, the it's about the, it's about the song. You know, it's not about who can do what. It's about the song. So I learned that at a very early age, fortunately. We went in, dude, we there was a couple songs that were one take jakes, you know, and we were like so stoked about it. So from there on with Sing Bird of Prey, we went and recorded at the Headroom in Philly. Um, Kyle Pooley was our producer. Um, he did hop along records and shit like that. Another great dude to work with. I wouldn't really want to like at this point, I wouldn't even want to work with anybody else, you know, because he was just so great. Then, um, yeah, so like in between all of those records and going into the studio, we did a lot of stuff by ourselves because we knew how to do the shit, you mm-hmm. know, and we kind of fucked with mic placement and all that shit and to get whatever sound we were trying to get. So that's pretty much it. I mean, it's actually really side- impressive to know that it was done on tape. I had no idea. Yeah, that was all tape. dude. I'll have to, I think I have a few copies left of the Greek favorites, like on the record and your brother actually did all the, all the artwork for that record. Okay. And yeah. And he actually gave, before he moved to LA, he actually gave me the original drawings and like, dude, I almost cried, but it was amazing. So it's funny Um, you say that when he moved to LA, he, he called me over and he had mentioned that he, he gave you a stack of prints. And then he had me go through bins there. And there was, there were some bins of shirts of all stuff that yeah. he designed. And yeah. it, and it was, I, I was like, you're not going to wear these. He's like, no, he's like, I just, you know, the band sent them to me. And, and I mean, there's a lot of stuff I wasn't even aware that he did. Um, I mean, he mm-hmm. just, he just did all the 18 visions stuff. It just mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, I gotta get in touch with him to see if he'll, you know, do an interview. Cause I know he's super busy, but yeah, you it's, it's kind of funny how that comes full circle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we were very fortunate fortunate to have him do artwork for our bands, you know? Like, it was great. Like, a bunch of our bands had artwork from him, you know? So um, you, you and I recently had a conversation, not only about some of the, the hired gun stuff, but at, at what point did you find that kind of making yourself available to fill in or to get hired for a gig was was a better option because I remember, I mean, you, you told me recently how you're going to fill in for an oi band at a show in Allentown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were on, on that other tour. And so at what point did that come into play? Cause I know you also played with Steve-O and the crippling addictions for a while and none of these were your bands. You were kind of just helping out or hired to do a job. So when did that start for you? So during Sing Bird of Prey, Sing Bird of Prey really became a mess. We really, a lot of personality clashes as we got older and I knew that the band wasn't going to last. And I was really upset about it because that was like, I felt like that was my baby. Like besides the Greek favorites, it was like, whatever. So anyway, um, during that, I was like, is this going to be the last band that I do? Or is this going to be a stepping stone for being a professional about it playing because I was at a, a, like, I was 25, 26 years old. And I was just like, now I'm 30. I was just like, man, I have to start getting paid to play drums. And I can't do this anymore unless I'm getting paid because, and I wanted to take it to the next step because I didn't want to clock in every day. I didn't want to do the whole grind. I tried really hard with Sing Bird of Prey and 
the guys just weren't on the same page. And uh, so I was like, yo, I'm for hire. You know, like I, I just, I didn't really put it out there like that. I didn't like put on my Instagram, like drummer for hire or anything like that. It was just, it kind of came to me because of, you know, bands that I was in and, you know, 2017, it was right before that I did a, a cover band show with at the Mount Chunk Opera House in Jim Thorpe and they were like they gave me a list of songs and I was like I've only ever heard these songs like on the radio so I like practice it once and I'm like this is fucking stupid it was like witchy woman and like just because it was a Halloween show so they were trying to do classic rock songs that had like puns to Halloween like witchy woman evil woman and like I forget what else, but it was just kind of like, all right, like whatever. I know these songs. I can just play them. I did the set and I was like kind of worried because I'm like, dude, this is a big venue and I'm going in completely unprepared and with like one session of just practicing and just kind of listening to the song. And we killed it. And we had the, dude, I had a blast. I went into it kind of like this, (sighs) you know, and then I, um, we had a blast. The, the people in the band were, were great people. They were older people. They were a couple. And somehow I always get involved with couples in bands. I don't, I, I don't know what it is, but then I was like, dude, I just made 125 bucks for a half hour. I was like, this is fucking rad. Like I got to start doing this. And then I went on tour with Yikes, with Vinny's band, uh, Lay Yikes Surf Club. And I didn't really get paid, but they kind of paid for, you know, I didn't have to pay for a hotel and they paid for all my food and drinks and whatever. And I was just like, this is awesome. Like I'm going on tour. I'm playing songs that are not even mine. And I'm fucking falling in love with songs because like, I didn't really listen to Yikes. Like to be real, like I liked Yikes and I loved playing with them, playing shows with them with my other bands and, and loved watching them. But I didn't really listen to him because I was just like, it's that thing like you don't sometimes you don't listen to your friends bands and you don't see that like you'll be at their show, but you won't even watch them live because you're hanging out with everybody else. It's kind of like that kind of thing. Like once like you're all in bands, you don't really give a shit about like your friends bands. You're just there. To well, it's also and- it's one of those things where it's like there's a good chance I'm going to see it next weekend and the weekend after that. And maybe yeah, next yeah. Month. So, am I really missing anything? Yeah, and yeah, and it's like, and I don't think anybody would take like, like they don't take offense to it because it's just like you're gonna be there no matter what, even if you don't know the song. Yeah. Anyway, I fell in love with those songs. I'm like, man, this is fucking awesome. And in between this, I was playing with Singbird of Prey, and I'm like, come on, guys, we got such a great record. Like this shit is fucking amazing. Let's let's fucking do it. And like, it was just such a battle to put a fire under their ass and then a band a bigger band that was going on a bigger tour i'm not even going to mention them they hit me up because they loved they they saw sing bird of prey they like saw videos of us and they're like wow we really love the way you play drums and da 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 and you we think that you would be a good fit so i went up there and i i played and we were like okay this is gonna be awesome you know and we went out and we did all the big stuff. This was like my first time doing the big stuff. That was the heartbreak of it in 2018 where I got treated like shit. But it was just like, wow, I can actually just sit behind a kit and learn somebody's songs and get paid to do it. And then actually get to know 
other different kinds of music along the way, you know? And that was a fairly big tour, right? I mean, you were out on the West Coast and, and went down. For we like did the whole country. Yeah, I remember it. I remember, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did. I, and, and same with Yikes. We, we did the whole country with Yikes as well. This one, like Yikes was like rock and roll clubs. This one was like venues. We, we sold out the Metro in Chicago. We sold out Union Transfer in Philly. All these big, big. Which venues. are pretty big rooms. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, the Mohawk in Austin, which was awesome. I feel like that venue is like a convertible. I don't know if you've ever been there. But... I haven't, no. Oh, dude, it's like enclosed on the stage and then it's open and then it's closed again. So it's like there's just this big open spot where the people hang and 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 see the band and it's just it's awesome there. So every time I've been to Austin it was emos. I don't know that place. I don't I, that was the first time I was ever in Texas. Yeah, it was on the outside. I think the last time I was there and it was a bigger room, bigger than what I was used to, but I did a tour with with Patent Pending, Hit the Lights and Simple Plan. Oh, nice. And yeah, the shows were huge. No, I love Texas. I've always had some yeah, the, good times there. Yeah, the the Mohawk had it was a 900 cap venue. We sold it on a Tuesday night at 897. So, it was like I was like, "Wow." And I I didn't even hear of the band that we were opening up for. It's a very like cult band. And they're besides the personality clashes, they were they were wild. They they definitely have their own sound and it, it was really cool to see cuz it was such a psychedelic kind of band. And the band that I was playing in was a shoegaze band. So I was already into psychedelic music and a little bit of shoegaze, but I had to listen to it more to get involved into the music, which was, that's what's really cool about being a hired gun is when, once you know that you can play whatever as a whatever instrument that you play, you start to see like, I'll sit there and be like, you know, I fuck shoegaze, blah, blah, blah. but at the time I was like, wait, not fuck shoegaze because there are certain things that I need to do to make sure that I'm going along with the shit. Like, dude, it's so hard to find the timing in shoegaze because it's one big wall of sound. And I, that, that was where I was getting a lot of compliments were like, how did you find the timing? Cause dude, I think the fastest song was not even 120 beats per minute. It was fucking wild coming from my background of playing fast. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was a complete, it was a challenge. It, it was most certainly a challenge, especially with my energy. And I think that's where a lot of personality clashes came into play, but it taught me that I can do that too. Being a higher gun, it has its, you know, pros and cons for sure. So you complete that tour, you come home. What happens next for you? So when I completed that tour, I took a little break. We moved into where we live now. And, um, you know, I had, we had the dog and I got really into pinball and uh, I was even into pinball back in 2017. But then I took a break for a little bit. And then I got with Steve-O. Steve-O was like, yo, like, I'm, I'm in, I'm out of Philly. I want to play with you. So for anybody that doesn't know Steve-O, Steve-O played in a band that I knew growing up called Split 50. And then he started a band called The Holy Mess with Keith from Big Wig. And, mm -hmm. um, and then he went on to start his project, The Crippling Addiction. So and The Holy Mess was huge. They got on Red awesome. Scare. Yeah, they, they got on Red Scare. They were, they were doing the damn thing. And then it, 
I went to go see their last show. It was their 10th anniversary and you know, they, they called it a quits. Um, I went to go play with Steve-O and we played like a couple, my first show back from that big ass tour was a small bar in Nazareth. And I'm like, this sucks. Like I, I remember the, the coolest part about that tour was like, I got like told firmly to not touch my shit and have them bring it in, you know? And I was like, this is fucking cool. And then like, I'm like lugging shit in the back of a bar and I'm like, Oh my God, this sucks. I'm like, and, and the bar was so smoky too. And like at, at that time I wasn't even smoking when I'm drinking, like, man. And there was like, I don't know, like 75 people there. It was, it was a pretty packed show, but it was just like, fuck, this sucks. Like, and then I had to humble myself a little bit because I got a little like, you know, the ego was going and then we played Pooza Fest and we got a nice slot on Pooza Fest at the Fafoons Electriques. Everybody calls it Foofs, but like, it's awesome. And uh, they treated us so well there, just like every venue. I, I, I haven't been to a big venue that treated me like shit. So they, um, we opened up for Iron Reagan. You know, we played, uh, we opened up for like Iron Reagan, Sam I Am, the smoking popes like it's like that's a good lineup dude it was awesome right and 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 then there was a bunch of other bands on like dude like on the real big stage like we played i don't know it was like a 1200 cap venue but we played at like five o'clock so there was like 300 people there so it kind of seemed empty but but on the big stage there was strung out uh, against me and like dude like all these big bands and i'm like fuck yeah this is awesome and then that next year uh, 2020 was supposed to be propaganda and I almost cried when they got announced while like I was like oh my god I'm playing the same festival as my favorite band you know it was awesome but so yeah that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it after after that big tour and then the pandemic happened so really. you pa- you passed a comment because you and I have kind of as silly as it sound we've kind of rekindled a friendship and we started riding motorcycles together and stuff like that yes. after years of not seeing each other and you passed a comment to me that kind of resonated. And that's kind of why I, I thought of you. You you said something the one night you said, I've made more money playing pinball than I ever did in music. What I And I also want to kind of focus on this because this is kind of the point of this content is the alternatives that you've not only pursued, but you've created. So like you said, you weren't really making money as a musician, but you own a pretty successful construction and handyman company. Like you're, I mean, I know every time I talk to you, you're doing some project and and that's something that's yours and is lucrative. And it's kind of cool that you can use that success, success to kind of fund the things that you're into, whether it's playing drums or whether it's pinball. But to me, what's more important is you went above and beyond to kind of say, okay, well, what am I into? Well, I love playing music and I love pinball. And you started Warlock and Roll Pinball, which is your, Mm -hmm. your channel. And yeah. I had I had the opportunity to go on the other night with you and Tommy and yeah that was fun. throw on some records and 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 play pinball and and shoot the shit with a bunch of people across the world. Mm-hmm. I think that was a creative outlet because you know the elephant in the room is like you gotta we all have to pay our bills. We all hate it, but I mean that's the reality mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, and you're streaming, you're generating buzz, you're listening to music, you're dissecting records, and it's it's a party every Wednesday night. And I think it's such a unique take on not settling. It still keeps you involved. 
it still generates a buzz and it's it's two of your favorite things so where yeah. did where did that start and 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 and, and why so I needed a void to fill because I, I really felt that I was never going to play music again because of telling you in, in detail, having kind of a bad attitude about music, letting my personal bullshit overcome like what I can actually do on the drums, you know? So when I got into pinball in 2017, it was like being at my first punk show and I was just like, wow, like this is fucking awesome. Like, I was like, this is what I want to be when I grow up, you know? And like, to me, one of the most beautiful sights is seeing 300 pinball machines set up all lined up next to each other. I needed one of my own. And then it turned into three of my own. And then it turned into now 12 of my own. And I needed to fill the void because the pandemic happened. And I was like, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to play shows again. Like, I went out with a bang. I played with this band, Grave Bathers, awesome dudes. They actually just put out a single and uh, it's like stoner metal kind of shit, but very, very technical. And I just had to tell them like, dude, I can't put the effort into this anymore because of the pandemic. I don't want to, they cared about the pandemic, but not as much as I did, you know, like it was kind of freaky for a while. And I, I admit I was paranoid about it for a little while. I was like, man, I need to do something to at least feel that I'm entertaining people, you know? And then I thought like, I had this thing called um, flipping out pinball. It was just an Instagram that showed everybody high scores. And if you go down, if you scroll all the way down my Warlock and Roll pinball page, it was flipping out. I never deleted any of the posts. And there was me like getting like 30 million on Metallica, which was like, yo, that's crazy. And now I'm like, like if I don't make a fucking 200 million, I'm like, fuck man, come on, man. We got to do better than this. You know, it, it was really, it's really cool to scroll down and see like my growth. I, um, when I got into pinball, I saw all these rock and roll machines. Like you, you had like kiss and Aerosmith and ACDC, you know, it's just like, and at the time, like I had the big hair and I'm rocking ACDC shirts. I mean, I'm still doing that. I just, I got a mullet now, but I'm like, there needs to be more rock and rollers in pinball because pinball and rock and roll is like spaghetti and meatballs like all your old shitty 80s movies always showed the bad kid playing pinball listening to rock and roll and you know like i just started this really niche thing to be like i know that i'm not going to make a lot of money and i know i'm i'm doing this because i love it and i needed to be humbled and i needed to be to do something for the love of it and not for like eventually playing music and getting bigger and bigger bands and stuff. I, I, I started doing it for the wrong reasons. I started doing it for the paycheck. I started doing it for how many people are liking me, how many, you, you know what I mean? Like my head got big and this was kind of the situation of like, yeah, dude, I can do things and not need fucking 1200 people to tell me that I'm doing the right thing, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, that's kind of why I started it was i got the i got the chops to play pinball and i have all these pinball machines and i'm stuck at home let's put on a fucking show and play some fucking music that nobody listens to in the pinball scene you're playing punk rock and hair metal and 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 i'll play funk and like i need to get hip-hop records because i wanted to start throwing hip-hop in there but that's for the new situation i didn't even tell you but i'm gonna be adding 
going to be probably in the next week or so buying a whole DJ setup and starting um, on the same channel, but it's going to be DJ Warlock in front of my pinball machines. And we're just going to spin rock and roll records and fucking hang out. Well, you beat me and, to it. It was what, what's next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like that's next. And then um, also, you know, with my better approach to, to life, I am going to go play shows again. You know, I played that show up in Brooklyn with that Oi band. There was like 200 people there and it was fucking awesome. And it was the worst show I've played like for me physically. Cause I drank all day thinking, Oh yeah, I can fucking play whatever. Dude, left arm stiffened up, man. My snare arm stiffened up. I was like, no, <laughs> but uh, then I'm going to be playing with Susie moon. Uh, she was in Savet and uh, she's doing her own thing now called Susie moon. I met her in the yikes tour and she loved the way I played drums and she needed a drummer for this tour. And, now it's not written in stone but her name is in the hat from her booking agent we might be opening up for social distortion and the hives that would be an tour awesome tours. tour that would be an awesome tour and i'm just like like okay what a way to fucking come back you know what i'm saying like play music that i you know in an oi band that fucking i fucking love street punk and oi and then i get to go and like have my name be in the hat for this fucking big ass tour but other than that we're playing with um a few shows in october november i'm going to be playing with um a band called the wheels they're big in like the street punk scene they're not like crazy angry street punk they're like fun stupid street punk and it's awesome also mystery girl which is like a rock and roll band like you know the whole rock and roll mullet fucking thing that i do and I'm just like, dude, I'm, I'm with my people again, you know, like I get to be a hired gun in the punk rock and roll scene, you know, and I'm just like, this is what I want to do, man. Like, I, I just want to sling paint and fucking play punk rock with with good people. You know, what's funny about that, though, like a hired gun in punk rock sounds like an oxymoron, right? You right. know what I mean? It kind of yeah, does. Yeah, it kind of yeah. does. Because I mean, I mean, up until now, I mean, I'm, I'm very eager to see where where music goes, you know, for the remainder of this year and next year. Um, you know, I keep getting the notifications of all these tours that are taking place and, and stuff like that. So I'm really, I'm really eager to see what happens. I'm eager to see, you know, what new venues pop up or what, or, or what spots are still around again, man, it's, it's, it's going to be very different. Does that worry you at all? No. Now seeing it, dude, that, that oi show, even though like we opened up for 45 adapters, that's what they were called. 45 adapters. It was really a lot of fun. I feel that that show, and there was three other like street punk oi shows going on with like antidote and like bigger street punk bands. There was like fucking 200 people there that night. And I'm like, dude, people, I think people they're ready. are going to just come out. They're ready. Yeah, they're ready. They're yeah. ready. I feel that that show, there would have been half the people if we would have never had the pandemic. So I think that music is going to really burst. It's, I, I, I honestly think it's going to get stronger. Now that I'm seeing it and seeing like all these shows, like all these people going to all these shows, like just on Instagram and shit, I'm just like, people are going to start loving the bands again because I think people are now, they know how privileged we are to be able to have shit the way we have it 
you know? So, so it's funny you say that because I remember the first time I went to the UK, the kids over there, and I'm not saying that the states don't have passion, so don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but the kids yeah. over there had such passion to hang out in front of the venue all day and to pre-order the tickets the second the, the, the tour schedule was released. And it was almost, and there were kids that still followed us around, like they were, they were also on tour. They would yeah, take their awesome. vacation time and they were on tour with us. So it'd be kind of cool to see some of that take place where, hey, every time a schedule is released, it sells out. Or like you said, it's just progress in some way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look at, look at our buds, Mannequin Pussy. Very They're true. selling out shows left and right. And they just started. I, I think they just left for tour or they're about to leave tomorrow, I think. I, I forget. Almost all their shows are fucking sold out. Yeah. And it's going to come back stronger. At first I, I had a, a little like, you know, bad vibe about it, but I think it's going to come back a lot stronger. I think people are just now realizing how lucky we had it before, you know, and uh, seeing the, like just at the Oi show at that show that I played, seeing the love, like there, there was just such a different vibe. Like, you know, when you go to street punk shows, it's usually like almost like a fashion show kind of deal. Like you kind of feel like if you're not, if you don't know anybody, they're going to be like, who's this dude? It was not. And this was in New York. This was in Brooklyn at gold sounds. And it was the most welcoming, most family vibe I've ever had at a show since like we were young. I just felt like I was at a show. It, it didn't feel fake. It, everybody was just like so happy to do, just be there. And I was just like, this is awesome because this kind of takes me back to like, at first it was like, oh yeah, I'm just playing a show, whatever. It's the same people, the same fucking thing, whatever. But you know, my jaded bullshit that I was going through. And then coming back to that, I was just like, people are happy. You know, people just want to be happy. There was no bullshit. You know, like I was just like, I was like, yo, this, I think this is going to come back in a good way after seeing it that night, especially in New York, you know, cause New York shows for me were always like, not a lot of people moved around, you know, not a lot of people like got wild. And this show, like everybody was dancing with each other, you know, even to like street, like there was a street punk band and all their their songs were about like the pandemic and Columbia and like like very political politi- political charged music and I was just like dude people are just like arm in arm together and just like they didn't even know the songs but they were just having a- I'm like dude this I've never seen this in New York you know and I'm just like this is fucking awesome so you can see the joy in my face oh absolutely you know? I hadn't been to a show this is I mean probably since 2019 and then the world shut down and mm-hmm. we we just got back from Nashville just to kind of get away for the weekend. And yeah, you know, we're not country music fans by any means, but like just checking out the Country Music Hall of Fame and Studio B where Elvis recorded was kind of cool landmarks to check yeah. out. Every, I mean, if you've been there, you know that every place on Broadway is a venue and there's usually three or four bands playing at one time. So we were... Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, it's a lot of covers and it's a lot of country music that we don't know, but it was still just awesome to see live music. I don't know what you're playing, but I'm here for it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yep. So it was yep. it was super exciting and dis- exciting and definitely a turning point because no, I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of tours that, you know, we were supposed to go see Alkaline Trio with 
with Bad Religion and it got canceled. We were supposed to be left over. So oh, left yeah. Crack in Harrisburg. It got canceled. So there was, there's a lot of that that I like, I really want to make up for lost time and, and, and see what the next six months holds. Dude, I'm, I'm going to go see, I, I, I bought tickets to a bunch of shows. Um, I bought tickets to go see Shannon and the Clams when they come around. It's like a 60s doo-wop revival kind of thing. And, but with like a, just a tad of a punky vibe. They're, they're from Oakland and fucking awesome. If you, it, it, you gotta listen to them. It's just so much fun. I, I went to go see them one time and Sheer Mag opened up for them. I don't know if you know Sheer Mag. It was, dude, the, the fucking pit was people like basically swing dancing. It was like punks swing dancing. It was fucking awesome. That's pretty so, cool. Um, yeah. So um, can't wait to go see them. Um, going to see the Bouncing Souls and the Menzingers at at the uh, it's called Stoke for the Summer. Like, dude, how happy of a band is the Bouncing Souls? Like, that was I was listening to them during the pandemic. I'm like, dude, first show I want to go back and see, or one of the first shows is I want to go see the Bouncing Souls because they are just the happiest band ever. Yeah, how is that? Summer Vacation is probably one of my favorite records of all time. Oh my god, yeah. So I'm I'm so stoked to see that. Stoked to see the Menzingers. I, I saw the Menzingers open up for Weezer like a few years ago. It's crazy to to see the the progress that band had, man. I just remember when I was in Pull the Pin, they were bobbing the Saggots. Yep, yep, yep. I remember bobbing the Saggots. And then I remember Precedent played their first show, one of their first shows at what was called The Warehouse. It was a bowling alley. Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Pull the Pin played that. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yep, yep, Pull the Pin, Captain Random. the men's... Dude, it was, that was a stacked show for the Poconos. And, um, yeah, we uh, – and then seeing them now on Epitaph just running the fucking world, man. It's fucking – and their new records. The production on that new record is fucking sick. Dude, they're so good. They're so good. But um, – and I think Sick of It All is playing, too. I, I never actually – Listen to a couple tunes. I always liked it, but I just never really like got into them. So I'm mm-hmm. stoked to see them live. And then uh, I bought tickets for Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah. They're one of my favorite bands. So I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm stoked for music. I, I think coming back with a new, fresh attitude with all the introspection that I got to have um, and basically telling myself to shut the fuck up and just have fun again and a whole new Clifford. Yeah. I'm, I'm i'm excited to you know like i don't want to do anything long i don't want to do any really really long tours because i got a life now you know like I, I have a life with marissa and andy and you know my company so i i can't leave for too long anymore and plus unless it's like really paid shit like if dude like okay if nickelback comes fucking knocking on my door i'm gonna be like all right, we're going to put Fathom Painting on hold and I'm going to fucking go play fucking Superhero or whatever right. the fuck their song is. I'll, I'll fucking learn the whole Silver Side Up record. I don't want to be like sleeping in a van and getting I was, paid a couple I was just bucks. Say that. Fuck that. Fuck I, like, that. I, every now and then I get messages from, you know, some old friends or, or sometimes just, hey, will you tour manager? Are you still available to tour manage? And it's got to be a really specific circumstance, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and I'm not saying that to be to be pompous, but like you said, I don't want to sleep on a floor. I don't want to eat pizza every day. Uh, yeah. There's and, and and I'm not too good for those things. I, I guess my perspective has changed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not 19 or 20 anymore, where I'm eager for those op- for those opportunities. Yeah, exa- exactly. And 
also with me it's my mom like like i was telling my mom about this whole social distortion like maybe thing and she was like oh so what's what's that gonna do for you that's gonna give you exposure i'm like mom i don't care about exposure anymore like i just want to witness some genuine shit just going wow like i'm playing in front of this many people i'm playing in i'm opening up for social distortion like them or not they're fucking social distortion oh i love you know what i'm saying yeah opening up for fucking social distortion like that's or the hives yeah i mean the hives i'm really excited about that but like that that would be cool you've created the alternative to say i don't need the exposure if these opportunities present themselves i can make the decision from there but your bills are paid. You have your construction business. You have something to fall back on that. It's not like you're coming back from a tour and saying, Hey, what's next? Or what is our band doing next? You don't have to. And those are real worries. I mean, I remember doing that, doing a lot of that as to what's next or where am I going next? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it, it wasn't always unicorns and and skittles you know what i mean yeah yeah so you're in a fortunate position which is kind of kind of why i wanted to have you on here and kind of talk a little bit about it because you kind of took it upon yourself and you know to kind of close this because i don't want to keep you for much longer i mean i kind of wanted to plug not only you know what you're doing with pinball and your stream but i mean marissa's also killing it with her podcast her and anna oh yeah you know yeah, uh, but what do we know i've listened to that a bunch of times and, yeah. and looked into some of the crazy topics and the mysteries and and, and unsolved mysteries if you will that they they venture into to hell yeah Uh, dude i i'm using her setup right now to do this (laughs) um yeah she's she's really into it she was just on a another podcast last night she had to watch a it was it's a horror movie podcast they they posted up on their instagram and shit and um they're they had to watch a certain movie and then they're gonna talk about this certain movie and it was just like they're they're hopping on different podcasts they have guests come on i i was on there one time and talked about a a really fucked up situation sad satan it's called dude it's a video game on the underweb or the black dark net or whatever you know so it's so cool that she her and her best friend were like yo we talk about true crime all the time why don't we just fucking record it and i'll never forget the first recording that they did was at they had the little blue microphone the snowball microphone and they did it in the one bedroom apartment that we had and it was a uh they did it right at the counter it, it from there now they're over 100 episodes you know and I, i'm just like i'm so proud of them they they did like they 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 got some merch going they sold out of their dude as soon as they get their merch it's sold out we had we went to, i i took her to go see weezer because marissa's favorite band is weezer white reaper opened up for him Dude, White Reaper is so good. She, we're, we're standing there and we're, we're having some beers together and we're, we're listening to White Reaper. And I was just like, this band is fucking killer. Like, oh my God. Like I was like blown away. And uh, this girl comes up to Marissa and she goes, excuse me, are you, are you Marissa from, but what do we know? And Marissa just like almost started crying. She's like, yeah, yeah. And then she looked at me and she's like, did you plan this? I was like, I don't know this person. I have no idea who this person is. Like, I'm like, you have a fan. This is what happens when people notice you. And it was just like the coolest thing ever. And then she like went and 
it was like her first fan person, you know, and then like she went and and called Anna and she was like, oh my God, I was noticed at Weezer, you know, like it was just, it was fucking awesome to see. Feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> well, hey man, thanks again. I mean, I know it's it's kind of late on a Tuesday. I mean, well, oh yeah, I'll probably be up for the foreseeable future, but I wanted to thank you, man. I wanted to thank you for sharing your story. I wanted to dig deeper into that and uh, we'll see how this goes, man. Can you, you know, you, yeah. you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly, dude. Uh, I I love this. This is a great setup. I really like this because it it uh, I was thinking about it all day today when you when you hit me up and we're 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 gonna we're gonna talk about this and and like I wanted to also share with you like the last couple of weeks, even since I last saw you and when I last saw you a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, we didn't really talk about music at all. We were talking no. about pinball the whole time and motorcycles and. And uh, I didn't get to explain to you like the first time we talked about music and I was like, and now it's like, I kind of went around and I was just like, okay, like falling in love with music again. I want to buy records and maybe take the DJ thing a little farther and do some parties. There's, there's definitely a portion of, of music that I got bitter about for a while as well, but it's not, and this is, it's, it was, for me, it was childish. It was nothing but my own fault. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was it was me not taking the next step. It was me not, you know, I, I was expecting things to come to me because I was religiously going out. And that's mm-hmm. not realistic, right? No. I think for me, there's been a, there's, I, I need to start playing guitar again because I haven't been. But for me, it's been with like kind of a new genre of music where I've been getting into like bluegrass and weird yeah. stuff that, if you had it told me at like 15 or 16, I would like, I would like in time, I'd tell you to go fuck yourself. But mm-hmm. musically, I'm not even looking at, at it for, you know, in, you know, where the inspiration is or, or lyrically where it's at. Just the musicianship alone is super impressive. Yeah. And, and I think that for me, it's, it's, those are the things that now that I'm, and this is so corny, but now that I'm in my thirties, I'm starting to appreciate and of course, yeah. you know what I mean? If I, I mean, I sign into punk news every day and I want to see who's touring and I want to see who recorded what, and I want to see what's coming out, but I can go down a rabbit hole of YouTube and, and Spotify and find mm-hmm. some, some shit that has never been on my radar. So it's good. We'll see what happens and we'll see where yeah. it goes, but uh, I'm pretty excited, man. Dude. Well, if you ever uh, write some songs, you know I can play some drums for you. <laughs> that I do know. I'm pretty I'm pretty good at uh, the train beat. If you like some bluegrass <laughs> shit, you know what I'm saying? The chucka chucka chucka. Oh, I'm I'm not advanced enough on a guitar to play anything like that, man. Those dudes, they they kill it. Like they're, oh, they're they, yeah, they're metal musicians on banjos and acoustic guitars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. They're wild, dude. Well, hey, man, I appreciate your time tonight. Um, I'll of course hit you up in the next couple of days because I want to go riding with you and uh oh yeah and we'll Hell get yeah. it going man tell uh tell Mars I said hello tell Andy I I said hello and uh I will I'll talk tell to Bane you I say hello too oh he's sleeping downstairs oh, all right the, the mic would pick up on the snoring yeah <laughs> yeah same with Andy that's why I had to close the door so all right man well thank you so much for inviting me on I'm I'm really thankful for that so I had a I had a blast as always talking to you but Sounds now that we good, recorded man. our conversation, it's really cool. So. Yeah, we really took the next step in our relationship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we can now we can ride motorcycles again. 
Into the sunset. Let's do it. In, into the sunset. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go, man. I'll All talk right, to you man. soon. You too, man. Later. Bye. to check out cliff on instagram at cliff underscore albert also check out his pinball page at warlock pinball 777 and while you're at it check out his fiance marissa's podcast as well at but what do we know podcast during our conversation you heard us reference cliff's band the greek favorites i wanted you to hear a track from them so here it is from the greek favorites 11 11 11 I love it.